that's why he's great. I love Terry Richardson. I mean, that's, they've erased all trace of the original generation of hipster, which was like mean, Terry Richardson, sleazy, uh, making out with guys performatively. Um, yeah, like uh, Dove Charney from American Apparel is another one. Um, yeah, these people all obviously did nothing wrong. Um, everybody who signed up to work with Terry Richardson knew exactly what they were doing, and I'm sure they had a lot of fun. It always looks like a fun vibe. <laughs> the uh, the Terry World book, where it's just like f- nude photo after nude photo after nude photo of him, like getting sucked off by girls in in and out hats, is really wonderful. <laughs> I, re- I need to check that. I have not seen that. Um, and Lady Gaga uh, became the boring fossil that she is now when she chickened out for the first in the first big way uh, because her best song ever, Do What You Want, with R. Kelly from Art Pop, was supposed to have a music video directed by Terry Richardson uh, during the peak of this controversy uh, where she is... Uh, raped on a gurney by R. Kelly. Uh, and oh, yeah, and they chickened out and the, only a few little clips have come out and then she's been total shit since then. Yeah, and, and now R. Kelly's being uh, wiped off the face of the planet. Mm-hmm. And I still stand by my statement that uh, I believe I can fly is the his version of uh, my heart will go on uh, of the 90s. I love uh, uh, the Michael Jackson song, You Are Not Alone, uh, mm. the R. Kelly written one so much. That song is really uh, disturbing in the best way. Have, have you seen uh, Trapped in the Closet? <laughs> yeah, back when it came out, that was like a ubiquitous thing. Everybody owned the DVD uh, <laughs> yeah. when I was in high school, uh, 2003, 2004. Everybody loved that. Everybody... Um, you know, it's almost impossible to get rid of R. Kelly. Um, everybody loved him and didn't care about any of the sex scandal stuff, even though he is uh, admittedly one of, one of the worst, <laughs> the worst <laughs> of them, where it's not, you know, uh, the, the uh, clear he did nothing wrong case. <laughs> but... Uh, Uh, Yeah, everybody loved R. Kelly up through like 2013. And I remember the exact moment because like this was when I worked at the erotica sweatshop, copy editing ebook erotica. And I was at a table of girls. Uh, We were all like early Lana Del Rey fans. And we would like choose albums to play while we were working. Um, And we played R. Kelly's uh whatever the album that was at that time like black chocolate or something yeah. and then the next day Jezebel released like a big article about how bad R Kelly was and like one of the girls the most like SJW one came out like all upset that we had listened to it um really lame <laughs> I don't I don't think you can control who makes good art or no. whatever, you know? And uh, psychos and sex freaks are who makes good art, yeah. <laughs> generally. Yeah, you don't have to be a good person to make good art. Yeah. But no. it's been so in- it's so intertwined now um, that... Well, obviously, because art is a political act more than a, pers- you know, kind of personal endeavor. 
Like you have to be making a statement about something. Um, it's not even art. It's just propaganda. I mean, the, I don't even know if like uh, modern normie folks have an idea, any idea what art is or have any like values attached to that because art should be the articulation of unknowable truths about human existence. Um, unspeakable truths that resonate with the viewer and, or the listener or the reader. Um, and the last 10 years has been like one giant psyop to change the notion of art into uh, social engineering propaganda. And that's why everything is bad. And everyone, even normies, knows everything is bad. But they just won't explore the reasons why, which is liberalism. Yes. Also, I think uh, art is heavily confused for a visual or audio medium. Um, like just because something is using visuals or audio does not make it art. Um, and I, I think the, like you have a lot of documentaries being made now, you know, they just, now they released a Fauci documentary. Um, that's not art. Oh yeah. Documentary, modern documentary is like the lowest on the totem pole of, <laughs> of, uh, media, um, that we're talking about Claude Landsman's Shoah, the eight hour Holocaust documentary this week. And it's so amazing to remember when uh, documentaries didn't have voiceover narration and cartoons and weren't like cute little animation. <laughs> yeah, you know, it, it was just like stark, beautiful, unadorned footage documents. Uh, and, uh, now, I mean, it's been, I guess, 20 years since Michael Moore's Bowling for Columbine and, uh, then Supersize Me, which were the two like proto libtard documentaries of my high school era that everybody saw and then became a Jon Stewart libtard, Daily yeah. Show libtard. And, um, those were kind of the things that were imitated later. And now the documentary thing is so cynical because they just take like universally beloved pop culture bimbos like Britney Spears and Paris Hilton and Britney Murphy and attach a victim narrative to them in order to make liberals feel comfortable liking them like normal people do. <laughs> yeah, well, it's it's this sort of um, I think it's also related to the nature of institutions uh, like art can find its way to a, um, a museum or a gallery and then it becomes universally praised. But out uh, out of context, it's a big no, no. Um, it's the same thing. You know, once it reaches the New York Times, you know, once it's late and you've been really good about this in the moment when things are happening in real time you call the shots or you make the call about what it is and you know, you're right about it and you stick by that. Um, but a lot of people, they need to wait uh, until it's universally validated. Um, they have to wait till it's normalized by someone else, by a tastemaker, which is really unfortunate um, since a truthful art is very self-evident. 
Um, I think people generally just get really uncomfortable with uh, what they can consider art or call art if someone else hasn't done it first. Um, so certain things like the Rush Limbaugh show, which, you know, is a 35 year running talk radio program is high art to me. Um, it's the art of speech. It's the art of performance. Um, but it's such an unwieldy thing to consider. Um, and it's so rife with received political opinions um, that you won't like find someone just talking about the Rush Limbaugh show as art. But it is. Yeah, I I totally agree. In the way, it's it's interesting. Um, I think because yeah, people are looking for that uh, validation, especially um, you know because. Uh, I, I forgot I saw a tweet recently, but talking about how um, maybe it was from Yana and she said it's the age of the critic as an artist. Um, and I think, you know, what you guys are doing now podcasting is uh, is an art form. Um, but it's usually until like, <laughs> you know, you have uh, people easily dismissing the things at the time. You have a little podcast. Oh, isn't that wow, that's so, you know, whatever, quirky. Right. And then, like, yeah, post-facto, they're like, wow, that that's amazing. Until it's explained to them and regurgitated to them in the form of uh, an article or a tweet, uh, which persuades them uh, that it's safe to consider it art. But, you know, when I first started listening to Red Scare, I knew instantly that that was art and that there was something new happening. And... Uh, you know, I I doubt that even Dasha and Anna really knew the full extent of what they were doing, but uh, it's obviously art. Yeah, and they're just doing it, and and I think there's just so much um, sort of pontificating now, and less, and just there needs to be more action being taken. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's um, something like a podcast like Red Scare is infinitely more influential and culturally resonant than what people still consider to be the official art world, which I know basically nothing about the dinosaur finance institution, uh, where people trade black and white photographs of like trans people shaving their legs or whatever, you know, black lives matter, Types things, type things. Um, that's just nowhere, and everyone knows. And that that is so separate from art that can reach a normal middle class person. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> like I love Camille Paglia's glittering images because her whole intent with that book was to talk about art to normal middle-class people. Yeah, like when she mentioned Star Wars in there. Yeah. Yeah, that's her, like, you know, flagship uh, troll take in that book that got a yeah. lot of publicity. And uh, But the whole intent there is this anti-elitist thing that uh, anyone can view art in the same way, and that's my purpose, too, um, is that people always feel like they don't have proper credentials to engage with 
uh, difficult or experimental or avant-garde material. And that's a total myth. Uh, Like I was renting Antonioni and Bergman and Fellini movies when I was 13 or 14, and I didn't understand them at all. And I kept watching them because I was just under this hypnosis and I wanted to understand them. And um, after the 2010s, when everyone's uh, attention span has been so fried by the combination of social media, um, lowered individualistic critical uh, expectations where... Um, everybody thinks that their opinion is very important, that their reflexive negative opinion is very important, and that there, there are no, uh, there's no canon, there are no great works of art that they can learn from. Uh, all of that has to be undone, and people have to learn to be productively bored and to choose a work of art and see it through to completion, choose a giant novel and finish it it's so much about like endlessly customizable little fast food menus of streaming options where you dip into the first 15 minutes of every movie and then declare it boring yeah and we're seeing the results of that because people who grow in that mindset do not produce good art (laughs) and i mean a few things but I think, you know, you've said it before, a very important Jack tweet. I don't know if it's now lost in the uh, the ether of tweet deleting, um, but <laughs> put down your phone and get off Twitter and read a book, uh, 50 pages or watch a movie or listen to music and and let yourself. 25 pages a day is a doable yeah. thing. If you make 25 pages a day uh, an assignment, that's something you can do and then you can move it up to 50 pages as needed. That's a lot for a person that works a normal job, but yeah, 25 pages, you will immediately notice and reap the rewards mentally. Your vocabulary improves. Reading is exercise. I'm so corny. It's because I'm a stunted, <laughs> I, I'm a stunted uh, teacher, you know, I was supposed to be a teacher, but I was born at the wrong time. And, um, and born but, in the wrong generation. Yeah, reading is necessary exercise for the mind. And people need to read fiction. They need to stop. I mean, first of all, people aren't actually reading theory online. The four PDF screenshot type uh, big brain profiles. Do away with all that theory. You don't need that. Just read sexual personae and then move on and read fiction written before 2000. (laughs) Popular fiction. Yes, Well, I think, yeah, because everyone's, well, now, you know, a lot of self-help books out there, a lot of mindfulness books, a lot of, uh, you know, how to nonfiction, wealth, whatever. Uh, It's not real. And you need to immerse yourself uh, in something and submit to, um, for lack of a better word, submit to the artistic masters of people um, who can take you away somewhere and not try to just spit propaganda in your face and let your mind kind of marinate of just different ideas in a different time. And, and it it becomes so addictive to get these windows into a prior time before people spent all of their time on the internet, on social media, 
uh, when just like average dumb people in the fifties would be reading like some 800 page tome, like from here to eternity or Atlas shrugged. Yep. Uh, <laughs> like that's what dumb people did instead of like watch TV. Cause everyone didn't have a TV. Um, yeah. Well, I, I also, I feel like, um, I mean, I'm a, I'm a younger guy and obviously, you know, I'm very thankful, uh, for what you guys are doing and your show because, um, it's really like filling me in culturally. I I'm just kind of in this weird, like, you know, I, I'm not, um, cued in on all the cultural references, but I'm also not like, a. I feel like I missed out on a lot of the zoomer things as well. So I'm just, uh, like in space. So, uh, watching a lot of these movies, it's like kind of filling me in on the, like, uh, the cultural like ethos, but my parents' generation was, was subjected to the classics, like classic movies. And it was just taken for granted. Like they're just regular people. Like they're not particularly, um, like into heavy into art or, you know, art world people. Right. But you know, like last night we were going to watch Vertigo and, and of course they've seen that. And they, of course they've seen Psycho and the Birds. And uh, I even had like Eraserhead uh, was like and recently watched. And my dad's seen that. My dad's not like a particular uh, like David Lynch fan. But, you know, at some point in time, they just had seen it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's how it should be. And that's how like school should be. uh rounded out like uh, broad uh interesting curriculum of classics in that way but ever since the you know at the heart of the liberal view of art ever since they invented the notion of having to dismantle the canon because it was a white male colonialist education has been shit um because even when they teach the classics, most teachers will do it with this kind of negative framing. Like I was fortunate enough to have a wonderful Victorian lit teacher who taught uh, Charles Dickens. And she was very clear about how she did not want and wouldn't accept a bunch of papers about like the role of women in so-and-so, uh, which is the easiest thing that college students do. And this was like 10 years ago, so it's gotten exponentially worse, uh, the quality of everyone's education since even then. Um, but yeah, I, I feel lucky to have had to read like the Scarlet Letter, the Scarlet Letter and uh, Billy Budd in, <laughs> in like a separate piece in high school. I don't know what monstrosities they teach now. It's, I mean, I was in high school. I think we, we did read the Scarlet Letter. Um, I'm surprised they still make people read the Scarlet Letter. Yeah. I mean, about some of the other um, classic literature, I'm sure they're giving the uh, Gone with the Wind uh, HBO disclaimer. Um, of, oh, uh, <laughs> I'm sure they don't even touch that except as a as a brief aside. In, no, like, but you know what I mean? Class. Like, they, they give the... Uh, this this film uh, has racist depictions. But by saying that it's <laughs> evil and ahistorical, so <laughs> it's just it's not. Um, yeah, uh, it's okay. Gone with the Wind can withstand anything. The power of Gone with the Wind will always triumph over middling 
middling bean counters of culture. <laughs> um, I wanted to mention last week, uh, you know, we did an episode with Orton talking about the death of music. And uh, I want to do, um, you know, I want to disclaim that uh, that is not true. Uh, music is not dead because we do have the Sam Hyde, uh, Anthony Fantano, fuck Anthony diss track. Um, <laughs> and, and that is the only thing uh, that I've been listening to in the car. Um, so if you haven't listened, have you listened to that, Jack? Um, no. The only music I care about since 2010 is uh, Lana Del Rey and Nicki Minaj. So <laughs> I haven't, uh, I don't even know where Sam Hyde's content is now. I used to be subscribed to the Gumroad for like two years. Yeah. No, it's uh, the the videos on YouTube songs on all platforms i i'm sub to his gum road too mm. um and obviously he's sort of fragmented and ripped off every site imaginable um mm. but it's interesting because he made this diss track and uh anthony has not said anything about it even though it has like half a million views um mm. and i i don't know if you saw the take that fantano made uh, the like last week about that there's no good right wing art. Yeah, um, and he said that uh, Million Dollar Extreme was was like nothing compared to Tim and Eric. Yeah, <laughs> Tim and Eric, which is always awful. Like uh, Million Dollar Extreme obviously took major influence from that. You know, existing as a thing on Adult Swim, Adult Swim because that. In the late 2000s, I remember when that kind of adult swim, like, that's so random humor took over. But, like, Tim and Eric, there's no substance there. Like, Million Dollar Extreme took the bare bones <laughs> of that and, like, made something great and made probably the last uh, large-scale right-wing television art <laughs> that we'll ever see. Yeah, that's actually um, cutting in some way or... There's like, and I I love a lot of those skits too. Like Officer Maggot, um, is a great one on YouTube, and you know World Peace is great too. Mm -hmm. um, but obviously Sam and uh, Nick and and Andrew and they actually it was not about appeasing people in the or doing the uh, quirky comedy. Um, Oh, free, yeah. free real estate oh, uh, sort of thing. When that yeah. stuff came out, I hated it so much. It was like all, all of my friends were in college and they were like, you have to watch Drunk History. You have to watch, uh, you know, and it would be like the like Jeff Goldblum, Bill Murray crowd. Or, you know, <laughs> when, they, when they like started depicting Paul Rudd as being so hilarious because the joke is that he's so hot, but he's also has a sense of humor about himself. Just... Lame from the start. I remember when all of that shit came around. Yeah, and I can't stand uh, Seth Rogen either. Oh, it's really uh, despairing to see what's become of him because I was a huge fan of Freaks and Geeks, which is great, which is what all those people came from. All the Judd Apatow people came from. And I watched yeah. it when it was actually on TV in 1999. And then it just... They turned so loathsome, especially him. But he was cute on Freaks and Geeks. He was good on that. Yeah, it was. And I mean, I didn't I didn't finish that show. Um, I I was watching uh, My So-Called Life. 
Oh, which, which is better. Which um, I, that's what I was just going to say. I think it's the yeah, better show. It's, it's a lot better and it's, it's timeless. It's Lindy. <laughs> I'm uh, I'm Lindy blocked. So I, I can't say. <laughs> He'll unblock you at some point. It's a, it's a sadomasochistic ritual and he's right about blocking. You probably <laughs> like, you probably liked something that was, uh, Oh yeah. I made shown. a, it was a, it was a SpongeBob. Um, SpongeBob's wearing the, uh, W for Wumbo. And, uh, <laughs> I, fo- I photoshopped it into an L and I said, you know, I'm Wumbo. I'm Lindy. He's Lindy. He, she, we Lindy Lindology. The study of Lindy. <laughs> there you go. But speaking of SpongeBob, yeah. um, last week I went into New York City for NPCC, the film festival. Um, mm. And I went with my good friend, friend of the pod, Dave, uh, Ancient Signals, and we saw Ken Park in 35mm. Oh. Great movie. Incredible. Um, also, who makes a, a cameo appearance in there is Bill Fagerbaki. Uh, the voice of Patrick on SpongeBob, which was unexpected. Who is he um, in Ken Park? Uh, he is, um, I don't know the character's name, but the kid who's fucking the mom, it's her husband. Oh, right. Okay. Who yeah. Doesn't, he doesn't do anything about, he just like invites the kid to, over to watch football, and, uh, but does not actually confront him about the cheating and whatever. <laughs> Man, that's a really evil movie it really really scary that it just feels like you're channeling like pure hell when you watch (laughs) that movie it's so it's so uh frightening and salacious and like over the line it's really good yeah it's great and um i i need to get that uh keep it simple shirt um that the norman bates um esque uh, (laughs) kid who um who chokes himself while he's masturbating? James Ransone, so hot. And he's so he's he's an act. He was already an actor because after there was a Q and A with Ed Lackman, um, you know, who co-directed the movie with Larry Clark, and um, actually the girl in the movie Peaches uh, was Larry Clark's girlfriend at the time, uh, which I did not know. And a lot of the all, mm-hmm. all the other kid actors were just you know picked up off the. Um, you know, street at the skate parts. They were just regular kids. And I guess the parents really did not like, they were just allowed to film in their houses and the parents like, didn't really bother them. That was the time. I mean, it was people really had a general appreciation for like indie film art. And you watch things like happiness and welcome to the dollhouse, like all the Todd salons movies. And that would, just absolutely never happened today, but no one thought anything of it and there was nothing wrong with it. I mean, it it was just a less conservative cultural moment. Um, Which seems ironic. Everybody watched happiness. Everybody watched welcome to the dollhouse. And now you'll have movies with 25 year old women, (laughs) 25 year old actresses where people pretend like they were like victimized into being in the movie. And yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm sitting here next to my uh, Japanese posters of welcome to the dollhouse and happiness, <laughs> um, which oh. is actually how I found um, your pod uh, because it, my junior year of college, I was making photographs of my family at home, um, sort of in the suburbs of Connecticut. And um, my department chair looked at my images and told me to watch, happiness and palindromes 
and also The Ice Storm uh, by mm-hmm. Ang Lee. Um, and those have been, I mean, I love Todd's Lawn so much. And um, obviously, I love your guys' episode. And I love Happy, the fragrance. It's one of my favorites. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yeah, Todd Salon's uh, is one of those immortal influences that was just everywhere in yes. the early 2000s with anyone who liked film at all. Uh, and, you know, most people have not seen storytelling. Like, storytelling is this, like, this like purple laser beam Godzilla purple laser beam of truth channeled from the future 20 years ago. Uh, and it would totally be called alt right now. And, uh, the, the, all the talk of it at the time was just about the weird structure of it. How the first part is 20 minutes and the second part is an hour. And they're like, it's just weird. And, and also the missing James Vanderbeek, uh, gay football player plot. Um, so nobody, nobody even cared about storytelling when it came out, except like teenagers like me who watched it all the time and thought nothing of it and had the famous line echoing through the house at all times (laughs) as spoken by Selma Blair. Fun, fun, fun. And the Uh, sun, sun, sun. Is that the line? (laughs) Oh no. Uh, blank. Fuck me hard. Uh, Yes. Which is on that jo- Japanese Jonathan. <laughs> Have you seen that poster that has that line on it? No. <laughs> it's like a shot of that scene. Yeah, it's like a Japanese poster. It's amazing. Is there the red square on it? or? Uh... Um, no, that one doesn't have the red square. I think it has some kind okay. of censorship square. But, okay, oh, yeah. I love the red square censorship. Yes. Yeah. Uh, speaking of censorship, um, I was running a bit of the uh, TPN Gambit for this in preparation. Um, I'm not, you know, I'm not a film buff by any stretch of the imagination and I'm doing a lot of catching up, you know, per se. So, um, I watched the other day I watched, uh, Melancholy Darangle, mm. um, which what, like, we'll, we'll have to talk about the little bit. And then I also watched, um, Nymphomaniac, but then after, you know, I, after I learned, I watched the censored version. So I need to go back and watch the five hour. Extended uh, yes. Very that. different experiences. <laughs> yes. And. I, an hour I'm, and a half cut out of it. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, that's like when we got to the abortion scene, and it just was a hard cut. There was just nothing. I was like, that was kind of weird, you know. Yeah, and all the uh, the hardcore sex inserts are cut out. There's only a few like flashes of dick in the. Well, there is the, the train blowjob one. There's that. There's a bit, but um, the true uncensored one has just constant hardcore okay. inserts the whole time. Yeah, I missed the like black guy double penetration thing. <laughs> oh, it's amazing. <laughs> the, the Nigerian um yeah, <laughs> non- with the amazing speaking. name in uh god the naming <laughs> of the characters how the black oh, guys yeah, are and, in, sorry. and, and the then pedophile P. is P. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. No, I so I need to go and watch that and um you know, I was I don't know. I I wanted to obviously to bring you on um so you know, because there are a lot of movies that I haven't seen and especially of the past 10 years. And I don't know. I don't really have any plans on watching them, at least at the moment. It's like, you know, it's like the communist manifesto. Like, I'm just not going to read that. Like, I know it's bad, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm not going to like I need to like suffer through this movie just to like give a take that I don't like it, you know. Mm-hmm. So um, I don't know. I don't know what people are watching nowadays. Like when I go into Target and I see all these like 
you know, uh, B-list shelved uh, Blu-rays that nobody's touching of like Marvel and Scarlett Johansson and and then The Rock makes his way in there. Like, are, do people actually watch that stuff? Um, I think that they do or they dip into it for a few minutes. Uh, but yeah, I've noticed all those like fake looking movies that look like their movies inside of like an HBO show, like Entourage yeah. or Sopranos, yeah. but they have like massive stars. They'll all have like, uh, you know, Scarlett Johansson, Alec Baldwin, they'll have like five huge stars. And yeah, they're now these like COVID dump yeah. Star vehicles. <laughs> yeah. But nobody's watching. And also, like you said, like every movie poster sucks now. Um, I forgot which one you posted about. There was, but there was like a, Criterion like remake of uh it was some poster remake. It's all garbage. It's oh, all this yeah. bizarro two uh, D flat, you know, all everything with the soft boxes. Stop with the soft boxes and the soft lighting on everything in the films. Oh, the worst. Um okay, Criterion has always um done really, really notably bad covers and really, really notably good covers. Like, uh, since the beginning, basically. Yeah. Um, but I remember being an old school DVD nerd in the early 2000s. Um, and everyone would complain about, like, the covers that were just, like, photoshopped heads of stars uh, put together. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but what they wanted uh, was a trend that became far more noxious and poisonous, which was clever, ironic minimalism, which trickled its way down to those like Target and Walmart slip covers that it'll be like The Shining, but it's just a picture of an axe. Yeah. <laughs> or it'll it'll be like, uh, you know, uh, what's another example? Like uh, a Christmas story, but it's like just a picture of like the leg lamp or, you know, oh, just dumb little horrible. ironic minimal. Yeah, really, really bad. It makes me uh, long for the Photoshopped agglomerations of star heads. <laughs> Yeah, well, the, everything's not like there's no cozy, there's no kitsch. Um, everything I also has to, yeah. really detest the um, the A twenty four Alamo Drafthouse style eighties uh, throwback stuff yeah. where that where they're like we're gonna they're gonna do this cool like painting that looks like the seventies and like <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like just don't even try. It's like how I um I just wish they would totally ban cigarette smoking from movies because I'm so sick of the fake post mad men, like the salary cigarette smoking. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Just don't even try. But yeah, a 24 more like gay 24. <laughs> am I right? <laughs> I'm trying to remember, like there are plenty of a 24 movies from like early on that are like good. Um, but before it became like this massive joke, but I can't, I can never remember what they are. I'm, I'm debating like, yeah, you know, obviously, I, I don't know. Before this episode, I was like, oh, w what do I need to watch so I can prepare so I know what I'm talking about? Um, and so I was like, oh, maybe I should watch Hereditary or Midsummer or whatever. Um, the only A24 film I think I've seen was um, Good Time with Robert Pattinson, which I saw. Yeah, in those theaters. are okay. Those, the the safety ones are like fun and they're you know they have a cool aesthetic but they have the same essential hollowness yes no <laughs> totally those movies do yeah yeah 
And I, I think I just like that one because Robert Pattinson goes blonde, and I always want to just. I like get the White it. Castle scene in that. That's what I always <laughs> think about. <laughs> um, and then I also saw something. There was like short film, something strange about the Johnsons, which oh, is right. like, um, you <laughs> which know, could have been hot. <laughs> yeah, which which could have been, but I sex drive. Yeah, well, it, no, hundred percent, like. Uh, it was supposed to be in that like happiness sort of vein, but it was like really yeah. heavy handed. And like uh, my girlfriend Chobi, and she was like, "Oh my god, this is I heard this was supposed to be so messed up." And I was like, "Yeah, you did it, it, it as fine. a joke. It's just like a, I mean, it's like an extended like Saturday Night Live joke. <laughs> yeah, but if he'd actually committed and like um, made the father son incest hot, it could have been actually disturbing <laughs> and good." Um, Take note, Ari Aster. <laughs> None of his movies have like a sex drive. I guess Hereditary has some kind of like Hereditary is a feeling that uh, it was made by like a sexual abuse victim, which is kind of <laughs> nice. But, uh, okay, yeah. Uh, but overall, they're pretty sexless, uh, f- formal exercises. So, so what was I? I didn't get to listen to the episode yet, but I I've, um, I watched Showgirls in recent time. But is that mm. The last movie with uh, some sex drive in it, or uh, what? Showgirls did really um, end mainstream sexualized female nudity because that was like the last big attempt, and it became this, you know, thought of as a giant bomb that everyone made fun of, but everyone actually loves it, and it's actually good, and it actually made them plenty of money, especially yeah. on video. Um, but yeah, that really put an end to sexualized female nudity and you don't see it, but, uh, people, uh, liberals and feminists still pretend that we are living 25, 30 years ago where there would be a pair of hot tits in a movie, you know, whenever a new HBO show comes out with its, uh, highly touted male nude scene, which turns out to be a prosthetic (laughs) rubber dick or like shot from uh, 100 miles away. So you can't see anything. And they're like, the tables are finally turning. Men are objectified in film. What has historically been, you know, nudity for women. And it's, they're talking about a non-existent framing of cinema, just like Gen Xers are still like constantly in this, battle against like evangelicals and the evil suburbs and yeah <laughs> there's not it, it, when there's like sexual it, the last big time like on tv that there was sexualized female nudity it caused an absolute moral panic which has now been memory hold which was game of thrones which you saw start out as this uh mo- subject of a uh, sex panic moral panic about the rape scenes and the female nudity in the background. And then they changed the show to become like an like epic queen Hillary thing by the end. Um, but uh, yeah, that was like the last time. And then anytime there is a scene with uh, a good looking woman's breasts in it, like uh, that Paul Thomas Anderson movie, uh, Inherent Vice has that scene at the end where the chick is naked. And then that that provoked all these think pieces about like, did she really need to be male gaze? Um, <laughs> and uh, it's it's really dumb, and it's really clear why feminists object to 
pretty women being naked on screen. No, it's bizarre <laughs> because in real life, everything ha- is like, um, I don't, and, and like you've said before, but, um, it's all ugly. And this is actually a really big problem in photography too, uh, because it's supposed to be intimate, uh, photos, d- you know, depicting actuality of women and their bodies and whatever, like, you know, people still think that they have this like cartoonish depiction that like men believe, you know, that women uh, are supposed to be like have plastic surgery or, or like whatever. It's, no, men hate plastic surgery. It's like women a made do up that for themselves. Yeah. That's an entirely made up thing when, they, when they frame uh, uh, plastic surgery as something that the patriarchy has inflicted on them. No, that's totally uh female narcissism and <laughs> like yeah. female, like self care. <laughs> No one asked, guys. Yeah. <laughs> also, I love the scene in um like Inland Empire where um <laughs> it's there's no particular reason, but yeah, it just like uh uh I forgot her name. One of the characters pops her boob out and all oh, the girls yeah. are sitting around there she goes, Tits and ass, girls. Tits and ass. <laughs> it's just like and too. and I just like that David Lynch just yeah, there just had to be no um caveat or footnote about Oh, that we're showing a female body or, or something like just have it pop out. Why Tits not? Well, yeah, David Lynch is, you know, the last generation that uh, can still show women like that. And women know he has the magic uh, because all women know that he's going to make them look better than they will ever look in, in their entire yes. careers. Yes. Um, <laughs> And he does the little, you know, the quirky little boy routine. Uh, and everyone who works with him loves him. So he gets away with it. <laughs> yeah. You know, rewatching Lost Highway recently to do that episode. I had seen it so many times, but I had remembered Patricia Arquette's tits being in like just the one scene. It's like, no, they're in the whole thing. <laughs> they're like six separate <laughs> Patricia Arquette tit showcases. She is the movie. Yeah. Her tits are the movie. Yeah, that's. I definitely need to um, check out Lost Highway. I'm not like the biggest Nicolas Cage fan, so that's not the one. Wild at Heart is the one with. Nicolas oh, Wild Cage. at Heart. That's sorry, the, that's the worst David Lynch movie. It's like, you know, I I love it. I love all David Lynch movies, but that one is like, oh, that one's stretched, stretched yeah. to the limit with the the quirk. <laughs> all right, I want to just take a quick five minute break. Okay, great. I want to get some more head. coffee. Sounds good. Okay, I'm here. Awesome. I'm actually glad we took a break because I'm a like, big believer in frequent podcast breaks. Yes, it's like when you're at the movie theater and they have an intermission or something. Right? Oh yeah, it's just uh, exhausting and unpleasant to like uh, keep going forever without. Yeah, imagine doing up Rogan. For a Ugh. <laughs> I could do that. All I want to do is smoke I just cigarettes want you in that to, studio. Yeah, I just want you to go up there, like, monologue for three hours about, like, everything. If if he was smart, he'd do it. Would bring the numbers. Did you ever watch um, Fear Factor? Oh, yeah. I watched that when it was on. Yeah. Yeah, he was just, like... Uh, hot guy yeah vapid hot guy at that time and then like when he came back around is this like whatever like marijuana soaked like 
(laughs) vaguely libertarian like podcast guy i was like that's the same guy from fear factor stop people stop trying to be intellectuals I like when um, something they do when the New York Times and mainstream fake news media does their periodic like cancel pieces on Joe Rogan. Yeah. They uh, talk about Fear Factor like it's like cello uh, that like uh, Marquis no. de Sade yeah, games yeah. that like Joe Rogan himself was responsible for. <laughs> it's like Joe Rogan made people eat testicles and <laughs> fall into pits of spiders. <laughs> If no. you didn't know his history. You know. He must have liked it, though, like standing there. I mean, he wouldn't <laughs> like that. I just miss early mean reality TV so much. The, all that um, all that mean dehumanizing energy has moved onto social media, so everyone does it for free rather than it being <laughs> delivered <laughs> delivered in an aesthetized package for them. Y- yeah, it's it was also something to, um, you know... I, you're not like a. I don't know when you're watching the show, you can't be like I'm above that. You're just like <laughs> you're in it, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. I'm. Yeah. So I'm here. I'm talking with you. I'm in my ghost jail shirt, and I'm wearing Aromatics Elixir. So <gasps> I'm in. I'm in full Jack mode. Amazing. Total copycat, but um, we're like telepathically, like the vibes, the energy. It's like transmitting through the screen right now oh that's wonderful the problematics elixir i can smell it through the through the speaker it, the dry like because this was my first time sprayed on my skin um because i know you're just supposed to like do it on your clothes or whatever it has a wonderful dry oh i spray it on my skin it's no i know as, you do yeah yeah <laughs> it's not as uh deathly strong as it used to be i don't think but uh yeah it's uh Oh, just like a drug, a psychedelic trip. Yeah. Fragrance. I get so many like compliments on this one when I wear it out. Um, yeah, it's beautiful. And I yeah. mean, like rose patchouli fragrances are very in like newer ones. Like uh, Frederick Mall Portrait of a Lady is everywhere. Mm. Uh, Coco Mademoiselle is still everywhere. So even though Aromatics Elixir is from 1972, the, yeah. the rose patchouli combo is very current. And I, I don't know, for some reason, I maybe because Happy is also Clinique, I just have this, like, I just love the the brand name and, like, idea. So I guess that kind of makes me, it, like, it's because it's familiar, you know, I oh, guess. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, the, the whole uh, Clinique aesthetic was brilliant, especially pre-Happy. Um, all the Estee Lauder marketing and advertising is just, like, high- art and the old Clinique ads that you would see there were these like stark black and white pictures of like just the product with this Mm. like bullshit scientific explanation underneath (laughs) that was like a very new thing then and I love the uh the theater of the sales girls wearing lab coats yeah and acting like doctors (laughs) the only that's the only scientist I can trust uh, I mean, now they just wheel out pe- fake people in lab coats on uh, TV to say whatever about COVID every day. Yeah. So, <laughs> it's the same thing. Totally not real. Mm-hmm. Yeah, only lab coat. And the lab coats are so not chic anyway. So ugly. I was looking at Clinique uh, lab coats on eBay the other day. Wait, do they have I them wish- for sale? I mean, yeah, like people who have worked for Clinique. I'm sure some of them are selling them as like vintage, whatever, but um, yeah, yeah. I wish there was one in my size. I would just 
wear it around. We're gonna have to custom tailor it. Hey, <laughs> I love I love this allergy tested, hundred percent fragrance free. Dermatologist developed Clinique um, uh, lab coat. Something nice that they recently put on the Aromatics Elixir box is like they tell you to use it every day. Don't wait. <laughs> it's like a oh, that's really great go. advice. Use up your fragrance. Don't yeah. save it. Yeah, you've got to. I I'm mm-hmm. I have this thing. Um, I like when it comes to my fragrances, I rotate, and I don't know why. Because I have this like, um, almost like oh, if I don't use all of them, like one's feelings will be hurt or something. <laughs> well, also, that's a good thing to do because you won't be able to smell it if you wear the same thing every day. Yeah, like, no, you're going to get desensitized. Yeah. And aromatics is especially like that. Like, if I wear it for a week or something, I can't really smell it anymore. And then if I wait a month, it's like uh, newly shocking and fresh and wonderful when I spray yeah. it again. Well, I'm sure your rotation would take like, like fucking. Oh yeah, I mean, I have like a year to get through everything. Yeah, um, I kind of swap out the ones on my desk that I see the most uh, seasonally. So I yeah. have the autumn winter collection. A collection, out yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I, I'm back into um, like now the summer's over. Encre, Encre Noir. Um, mm. I feel like for some reason, and uh, Marcus had said this one time, and and you know, obviously some of the fragrance stuff is totally psychosomatic. So he was like, "Oh, you know, for some reason when I smell Ancre Noir, I get like nauseous." And then after that tweet, I started smelling it, and I was like, "Oh no, <laughs> it's happening to me!" So oh, it's really strong. I mean, it's a it's a sledgehammer of a fragrance. It's very blunt. Yeah, and. You know, you have to learn to like the smell of unadulterated vetiver, which yeah. is what that is. It's very strong, swampy vetiver. Yeah. Well, I remember well when I first got um, into TPN and I ordered, because you had been tweeting about it, Ancre Noir, and then uh, Kenzo Lelefant. Um, which Ooh, that I was ended real strong. I ended up returning that because I, I just at the time I could not handle it. Um, oh yeah, that's like sucks the air out of the room. Uh, <laughs> that's why it's so fun. Yeah, it is an elephant of a fragrance. Yeah, I and remember. It's very like medicinal, like clove, licorice. Oh my god! Yeah. yeah, the first time I sprayed it, um, we were making dinner and my mom was making like mashed cauliflower, and we sprayed it on in the kitchen, and <laughs> it's like. I was just, it was just noxious uh, when we were eating. That's like all I could sort of taste. Oh yeah, that's a that's a going out kind of a special occasion, dramatic fragrance. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, and I actually am enjoying about the rotating thing. Um, ju- maybe just by nature of the fragrances I have, I don't think any are like particular occasions or like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm going to save this for when, I don't know, I'm going to a fancy party or something. Maybe just that doesn't happen for me a lot. Um, mm-hmm. But when we went to see Ken Park, um, I wore Comme des Garçons 2. Um, I don't Perfect. know if it's two man, but it's like a silver. The that's silver the bottle? original two. Yeah. That's yeah. the like rosy, metallic rosy one. Yeah. And I have very fond memories. Um, over the summer, I got together my college friends. We had like a. Fu- we didn't get a graduation to graduate in 2020. Um, we just had like a virtual, um, so, and on the virtual graduation speaking was John Waters. 
no but, way yeah it, it was cool but and it's sort of interesting um you know he kind of gave his like you know he's like poking from an angle that's not like you know forget about the conservatives forget about the liberals like be an artist you know type of thing um mm -hmm. i actually um but i enjoyed like what he had to say and and um anyway <laughs> we didn't get like a formal send-off we were supposed to be at like radio city music hall and that didn't happen oh i know that would have been great right yeah that would have been amazing what uh, fragrance would you have worn oh i don't know um I wasn't as into, I was like, I think during college time, I was totally in my uh, Todd Haynes safe uh, fragrance mm -hmm. is going to hurt me. Uh, <laughs> neuroticism. <laughs> it's I, so amazing going from the idea of going from that to aromatics elixir, which is one of the most frequently brought up, like most hated, like strong fragrances. Oh, yeah. Like, my entire childhood was ruined because my mother wore this. <laughs> like, no, yeah. I that's so not I mean, for oh. me like uh, obsession as a fragrance like scares me. That's like a scary fragrance to me. The um, men's or the women's? I think the women's, yeah. Yeah, it I mean it's very uranus um strong strong incense urine. Yeah. Um, I was listening to the episode um, you did with uh, Bimbo Ubermensch and you guys are talking about obsession and it was interesting because I also bounced from uh, like an early cozy season one TPN where Orton was then explaining the story of when he was in the Goodwill and spilled the like spoiled obsession on um, on his like arm and that's like oh, all no he way. can remember. So it's kind of <laughs> funny to see all the all the parallel i don't know and the plot lines the plot lines this totally, is what come on to people. the whole thing the it's whole thing yeah um i have not gotten through the whole thing because i have the problem of like i have to watch the movie before i listen to the podcast oh right yeah and obviously it's gonna take me a little while to like get through and and <laughs> oh, <laughs> like yeah, wa watch forever. the yeah watch the three-hour movie then listen to the three-hour podcast yeah um but it's totally worth it because I am being, uh, I don't know, I'm just entering this amazing realm of people and art and, and I just feel really connected like in that way, you know what I mean? Well, um, thank you. Yeah, of course. Uh, so anyway, we had a back to the city, but this summer we finally had like a final send off sort of graduation party with all my good friends and we went over to um, the flagship Comme des Garçons store and I just have very fond memories of wearing that fragrance that day and having a wonderful day with my friends. Oh, I have such fond memories of that store too. Yeah. Bu bu buying tar, buying yes. two bottles of tar, which I oh, then stupidly yeah. gave away. Oh no. But now I, have, uh, now I uh, had to pay a premium and I got another one on eBay. So Okay. Yeah. When you yeah. go, it, when you go in, it's really like not that expensive and they have it but they don't have you can't order from the website i don't they think. they make tar again but it's uh in the like uniform little bottles um oh, okay. like the original bottles for the synthetic series uh they're like big clear plastic and then the perfume itself is in a little like black trash bag inside of that they're like yeah. amazing so i just wanted one of those bottles to have forever before they yeah. disappear off the face of the earth oh my god yeah I need to get tar. Um, 
but what do I ha- what do I have from last time I went I got concrete um which I've mm. kind of splurged on and I don't know if I should have because now that I smell it it's all I can smell is like Necco wafers and it's like a sandalwood sort of thing yeah that one's very like ice cream uh candy yeah um, but those uh that one's really expensive that one's like almost two hundred dollars yeah then- they uh, but, recently did uh, Rouge, which is the best one they've done in a long time. Yes, and I think I smelled that when I was that there. One's like, yeah, that one has like a interesting radish thing. <laughs> um, but that one's like 200 too. Well, um, yeah, well, I've, I've been into Black, uh, which is like 200, which is like 10 years old at this point. Uh, but Black is like really heavy, gloomy, licorice incense. You would probably not like it if you didn't like jungle. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Realm, uh, yeah, <laughs> opaque, claustrophobic licorice <laughs> incense thing. Something <laughs> about when you go into the store, you really enter the void and I'm just totally brainwashed, especially because I remember going in in college, like when I didn't have any money and, you know, I was like, whatever, this is foo-foo. And then when I come back and and like the same guy, he sees me there and he's like, oh, like, I remember you. And then I just schmooze about fragrance for a little bit. And they're like, you know, they like unnecessarily ask you for your like name and email and stuff mm-hmm. like it, because they get you on a, a mailing list or something. Is but- that how you get the catalogs? Though? That's good because uh, the catalogs are really rare. Oh, okay. Um, I don't know if they're set. Is it at a physical? uh, They do a physical catalog. They recently did one uh, where like you can't open the pages. (laughs) Like the pages (laughs) are like uncut. Um, But yeah, they become like collector's things. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And last time I went in there as well, they also had uh, they had this like beach fragrance, which I know you hate the copper tone type of beach smell. Mm -hmm. But um, I love how they had it in a, you know, those like foam pool floaty type of material. Like, oh, yeah, that, that's what it was encased in. And my, my mom, she wears um, Bobby Brown Beach because mm-hmm. she's from Long Island and she loves that like beachy, you know, sunscreen type of smell. Right. Uh, but it doesn't it's not sunscreen. It's not like entirely in that vein. Um, yeah, I haven't smelled the new ones from last year yet. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It might be might be worth checking out. Um, yeah, I always have to smell what they're up to, and they are always at least good. The only one that like ha- the only ones that have like basically no redeeming value to me are Amazing Green and Dot, which are clearly just like the boring like tourist fragrances <laughs> the, the person who likes spending money but doesn't want to really own a comme de garçon fragrance mm. yeah when i was um a few weeks ago uh, for my birthday I went to the bronx botanical gardens and they had a yayoi kusama like outdoor exhibit and i don't know if you know her work but she did these like infinity rooms with the um with these like dots and that's like her obsession. So I don't mm. know if that fragrance pattern is like referencing that in some way, you know? Oh, it might be that I thought, uh, when dot came out, it seemed like an apology for the, um, 2011 EDP and the like glue bottle, which is a masterpiece. Cause they kind of like reused that bottle and put this insipid little <laughs> girly, nothing fragrance. Yeah. in it. <laughs> the pattern reminds me of some like nineties children's book that, I'll have to find the name of something with the polka mm. dots. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I'm really going to have to buy one of these lab coats, I swear to God. Yeah, you need to go around. Oh, everyone will start. Everyone in New York will start wearing Clinique lab coats then if you do. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Well, I don't even know, you know, um, the art people aren't really into, like, the fragrance, you know? it's No. Yeah, the fragrance is such a niche thing. Everybody's into, like, clothes, which is so boring. Like, especially, like... <laughs> Clothes are just the same as they have been for 10 years. It's just like the norm core thing just keeps going and going and going. Um, but yeah, Aggie, I don't know. Like uh, I, I love uh, admiring like haute couture, like Comme de Garçon, Terry Mugler type stuff. But in terms of like being a man and being into fashion, it's like really boring. Like I, I'm not going to start tucking in your, like tucking in your shirt and um, cuffing here. and bow ties and all this. Like, come on. Well, yeah, you can. So you can either be the like um, into the <laughs> like hip hipster um, wingtip shoes with a cup of coffee and a tailored suit, or you can be like the faggy, um, canvas bag toting, uh, roll up your beanie, um, tuck oh. in your shirt, wear a belt, um, art kid in New York yeah. City. Why do they all have canvas tote bags that say the New Yorker on it? I don't know. What are you carrying in there, young man? Oh, yeah, that's uh, really depressing. Like if you go to, um, like you know, it smells crazy in there when you go to Mast Books and like. <laughs> so so many people that uh, should and could uh, be into perfume like will never take that final leap because they're too scared to because of the associate the received association. So like, there's this whole world on YouTube of like candle obsessives. Uh, um, no, and, you know, <laughs> just, just like. You know, candles are fun and whatnot, but these are people who just obsess over the same, like, basic four, like, Yankee candle type bath and Lavender, body Lavender, eucalyptus. Yeah, uh, just, yeah. they have, like, entire, like, hoarder closets of that, and it's like, you could just, you clearly like smells. You could just very easily get into fine fragrance and, like, have a more interesting hobby than this and still have your candles, but they're, like scared of perfume because uh you know frankly the only thing interesting going on with perfume right now is tpn but uh like oh. the blogging era is over tell him um, jack yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh <clears throat> but yeah it's it's so sad when people like won't take that leap and also when like the fashion people like like what's more depressing than owning actual comme de garçon like items of clothing and then not caring about the fragrances really depressing totally i i think the fra the fragrances i mean for it for me that's like what was the most accessible thing there yeah that's um, what the designer perfumes were intended to do when they started doing that it's because it's an embodiment of the how the uh, fashion house that anyone can afford and anyone can take home it's not a forty thousand dollar haute couture garment <laughs> that you can't wear anywhere it fragrance also has this great um quality where when you wear it around people unlike clothes which are like kind of restrictive in that way but like someone smells they're also smelling the same thing and experiencing it with you 
like only one person can wear a garment at a time but mm-hmm. people like will get pleasure or enjoy like when you are wearing something like you know i love when my girlfriend wears uh coco mademoiselle mm-hmm. like that makes me happy but she i'm not the one wearing it you know yeah it's so fun to be able to smell a fragrance on someone else and this used to be totally taken for granted and it was something everyone experienced every day like prior to the 2010s when a girl got in your car it was just this like cloud of a breathtaking perfume it was so fun and now it's just just nothing and nowhere but i have been smelling a lot more perfume on people since um covid started i think the when the first interesting the first kind of like wave of freedom hit from lockdowns and everything i started smelling a lot more cologne and perfume i think people are enjoying it uh as a sensory treat um like milk and uh and meat (laughs) yes (laughs) everything is being uh rapidly taken from us by the the joe biden sham operation and then um um, then uh you know (laughs) What's the word? But it's downplayed by the um, made-up fake post left and uh, oh, the yeah, the the dirtbag left folks. Uh, their job is to just uh, be like janitors for the Democrat Party, and just uh, now they're just like slave drivers. Where the Democrat <laughs> Party does this horrible, horrible, objectively horrible authoritarian stuff, like we have never encountered in a century, and the leftists come online and just go just make fun of you for noticing it. That's their, that's their thing. It's like, you're crazy and gaslight you it's what go, is- Ooh, having a meltdown. <laughs> what is their problem though? Like, why are they running interference? Uh, they're bad people. I mean, I'm sure some of them are paid psyops. A lot of them are paid psyops, but uh, if you um, become a liberal, you are surrendering your humanity and your soul and you become a demon with social privilege um, uh, there's not like a good reason for anyone to become a uh, liberal anymore. There's not like empathy or charity or anything. It just it specifically means you're a bad person and you're supporting authoritarianism. Yeah. And the post left types, they want to be liked, you know, they, they enjoy taking the received like washed up alt-right conservative talking points like six months later, <clears throat> yeah, but then they want to fit in with the, you know, the liberal and, you know, the, look, when I was in school, I had a, just because I nature of where I was like I I had that thing, too, where I was like, oh, I don't want to be disliked by everybody in the room because of my politics or something. But mm-hmm. so I just keep it under wraps. Um, but I, I've just decided like the since graduating, it's like I'm not going to be friends with somebody who is going to like make me feel bad for who I am. Absolutely. And that's that's what they all do. I mean, they want to police like every little behavior you have, you know, I went through the becoming a pariah for being a conservative so long ago that I've like in 2015, 2016. Yeah, that it's I just feel like I completely I just don't even think about like friends in this quote unquote in the same way. Like I haven't had like the kind of like social life that I used to have in basically six years now because of liberalism. And I have to see people who are, uh, 
later to the game and experiencing the nightmare of their friends who were previously cool being indoctrinated into a cult and becoming free police uh, and acting like monsters. And, um, you know, everybody wants to kind of preserve what they had prior to 2016, like those friendships that they had, but you can't do it. Like with liberals, there's a certain point for them, like the power differential to use one of their words is so stark Mm. that once you piss them off, they will always, uh, they will always like feel morally enlightened to trash you and dump you at a certain point, there will always be a final straw. And even like the most kind of broad minded liberal folks that I have become friends with, or used to be friends with that still kind of talk to me. It's just a constant battle because they, they, my presence interrupts their view (laughs) of the world too much. It's too inconvenient because they all like me. Everyone used to like me like that, but it's, you know, they know that what I say is true on some level and that I'm not like a radicalized crazy person. And especially with normies uh, recognizing what COVID is and that the narrative is not what it seemed to them last year. Um, <laughs> yeah. I don't feel I re- bad for being right over and over again. No, you can't. And uh, yeah, they're, they're really like under this bizarre spell or I don't know what compulses them to like act in this way, especially with the free policing thing. Like you're, you're getting nothing out of this besides maybe some sort of social acceptance. They've Um, been brain. It's a religion. They've been brainwashed to think that, uh, policing their friends and family, uh, will calling out racist grandma will save hypothetical non-existent black people. That's literally (laughs) what they think. It's like a magical spell. Like they, they think that, uh, police and grandma will save in the man in the manner of like Mario saving Princess Toadstool, a <laughs> hypothetical dotted line black person that yeah. exists in their imagination. Yeah, or they have this like bizarre um, like conception of black people like that. Yeah, I mean they don't. They're <laughs> never around any, and they don't know any. And it's all like uh, the more liberal you are, the more. Uh, of an insulated white community you live in. Like Austin (laughs) is the absolute whitest of the major cities in Texas and liberals will always go, I would never live in Dallas, Houston, San Antonio. The the Houston is an armpit. They describe the actually diverse cities as armpits and they don't, they don't even notice, you know, any conflict with their ideology here. What what I also wanted to say was that there's the irony is like the brain poison uh, amongst these people or the sort of like everything has to be treated with the um, like I'm above everybody and everything because they don't stand for anything, you know, like they don't believe in anything earnestly. So it's easier to like try to criticize than actually, I don't know. Oh, and that goes for everything that goes for the evaluation of art that goes for uh the way people behave online the way people behave in their personal lives because it is safe to insulate yourself with a glaze of irony and reflexive negativity um if you are 
sincere and positive and emotional, then it opens you up to being mocked and made fun of and being wrong. But even when they like something, uh, even when they have like a, a parasocial, like uh, fan relationship with a podcast, they have to make themselves comfortable by framing it in this negative, ironic, like <laughs> hate listening way yeah. because they're superior to everything. And uh, it's really crippling and disgusting and uh, ruinous to humanity to encourage this kind of behavior. And, you know, the, the, the hypocrisy there is totally evident, of course. Like the leftists online, uh, if they're criticizing one of us, then it's always like, he's having a meltdown. And they treat it like, you know, having like, a normal you're, one, you're are we? <laughs> furiously typing this from like the incel murder basement. Like, <laughs> like, you know, they nothing you do has any intentional humor or irony about it, but everything they do is hilarious, come town irony, uh, whatever. <laughs> but then they're totally like uh, Dracula type, like sarcophagus lid serious when it comes to any libtard social issue uh, and policing anyone <laughs> besides Nick Mullen saying a slur, you know, <laughs> like, which is all made up anyway. Yeah, it's all, all made the up. social issues stuff. Mm -hmm. That's been really helpful from listening to you is just like rejecting the whole thing and not engaging. Like there's no, there's no debate to be had. Like there's these are no crazy people. <laughs> No, there's no engaging with uh, cult members. You can't facts and logic your way out of it. And this is a, a trap that conservative talking heads constantly fall into, is that they buy into the liberal framing of everything. So whenever there's like a new case of liberal censorship, like Dr. Seuss book being revoked, then you see the conservative talking head response. And it's like, we have examined the Dr. Seuss book and found that it is actually good. Yes. Like, why uh, are like, you no, even stooping to that level? is bad. <laughs> like, yeah. like, of course this is bad. It's Dr. Seuss. You don't need to treat this as any kind of like real serious problem. You're dealing with a nihilistic communist death cult that consumes everything in its path. Like it's, you're not, it's, it's like a, it's a religion. It's an evil, evil authoritarian religion. Reject yeah, and all to, of it. And to the point of conservatives too, because they have this like inherently reactionary thing. Uh, what also really bothers me is the way they try to abstractly describe culture. They're like the right wing needs more culture or whatever that means. Like listen to the perfume naturalist, like buy some perfume, like, watch a movie, like enjoy something that is not like these people have this weird framing. Like I'm going to make a right wing, right wing movie or something like I'm making right wing, just make something like be a creative person or in, be interested in life because politics, politics is of nature of force. It's going to like impact all facets of life. Like correct. Because of the, you know, of the existence of the state or whatever, but like, Stop trying to think about it in this like combative reactionary thing like, oh, if I make this, it's going to like uh, get us closer to this utopian ideal of like government or something like that. It's just annoying to me. Right. Um, there are a lot of problems there. Uh, conservatives in general uh, seem to lack imagination when it comes to art and experimentation. 
Part of this, of course, is that they don't have the uh, financial backing of massive institutions as liberals do. So it's not like um, money is just getting thrown at like conservative artists to do whatever they want constantly. Um, But this focus, this endless myopic focus on like the news cycle and following each uh, deliberately deployed liberal (laughs) soap opera plot line of the mainstream news cycle is so destructive. And when they could be reclaiming the entirety of art and culture and beauty, which is just there for the taking because liberals have rejected all of it. There's this, there's this inaccurate notion right now that uh, liberals own the entirety of art and history and culture. And they don't, they've rejected it all. And they're trying to actively censor it so that they can reprogram people as needed. Um, And it's, it's all there for the taking. And when I came online in 2018, you couldn't even talk about movies. The right wingers were so humorless. They would just be like Hollywood degeneracy. Like these people are so unimaginative. Yes. Um, and like my brother and I like single handedly created the space. No, (laughs) literally like you guys. Yes. There's a whole, like I've made so many friends and people are like, this is like talking to you guys. Like I've been able to find outside of art school, which definitely has a lot of artistic people, but like are also really closed minded because they're not like, you know, if you were around in like the nineties or whatever, or even obviously before that, there was this kind of like subversive nature to art, you know, being like in the lower East side and doing, you know, like shit that didn't need to be with an explanation or a disclaimer of it's not politically correct or not. Right. Transgression was valued. I mean, that was just, there was a place uh, for that, and everyone knew what it was. Like in the, everyone of my generation knew that like extreme stuff was just art. And then with the 2010s came this uh, new orthodoxy that anything shocking or extreme uh, was bad and would actively attack you and actively harm people. Uh, like when I started noticing all of my female friends who had gone to college. Uh, had developed a new sensitivity to rape scenes where they had been indoctrinated with liberal ideology that depicting a rape on screen, uh, it comes out like in 3D and re-rapes the viewer. Um, Like magical thinking like that. So we're we're seeing the results of uh, 11 years of this liberal stuff. Yeah, but you guys really um, have opened it up besides this sort of you know, bizarro, like, uh, are we supposed to be like online? I, or I think the conservative thing, and, and I've had this before because you're, um, you're forced into these set of rules and like logical thinking, uh, of this, of an ideology, you know? So it's like, Oh, um, I, I can't watch X movie because it's made by a liberal or whatever, you know, or like I, I would get annoyed at parts of things like, because it did not <laughs> line up with my worldview, but it's like such a such a stupid way to live and be like caught up in your own bullshit because or at least for me, like watching girls had been the like real game changer of that, you know, mm. which I had just totally written off because I thought, 
Lena Dunham, whatever I had seen tangentially on Twitter about her and her sister or like whatever, you know, or feminism. Right. She was, uh, the, the whole history of Lena Dunham's perception has been lost, uh, because initially it was entirely liberals who were angry and negative and relentlessly going after her. And then the book thing, uh, with the story about the sister happened and conservatives took notice and she became this, uh, this symbol to them of like fat feminist liberal <laughs> decadence and evil. And it made me really angry because liberals had hated her so much. And the whole moral panic about her was that girls was racist because it didn't have a properly diverse cast and girl, they were correct in seeing that girls was reactionary. It is. And it's not an accident. Like it's a very deliberate thing, regardless of what she said or says in interviews, like people really are not taught to evaluate a text or an artistic work uh, while ignoring the explanation of the artist, which is yes. so essential right now. Cause if you, if you went through the entire history of like cinema and music and discounted everyone who is uh, currently parroting like COVID uh, Democrat, Joe Biden stuff, you would have nothing. They all do. Cause they're boomers and they don't know what's going on. And, like, fucking throbbing gristle, <laughs> like <laughs> throbbing gristle, like songs from the death factory, you know, like uh cozy fanny tootie is like tweeting out COVID pro COVID shit and you know, me too shit. And it doesn't matter. She's like 75 years old. Who cares? Like they don't know what's going on. And they're dinosaurs who are insulated in these institutions where they have been constantly rewarded for uh parroting Democrat liberal ideology. And they, their brains are broken by the last few years where people simply cannot accept that authoritarianism and censorship is entirely coming from the left. Uh, they still think that they're living in this, this world of uh, censorious Christians with power, which never really existed. That was always a, uh, an inflation and an exaggeration by liberal media, even in the nineties and eighties. Um, but yeah, you can't like, take an artist's explanation. You can think about it. You yeah. can factor that into what you think about it. Sometimes they're right, but often they it's the complete opposite of what they're doing. And also Lena Dunham, prior to the first several years that she was around, she really didn't say much in interviews. She was very vague in uh, her like little explanations of what they were doing on girls. Yeah. And then she, instead of getting offline and just continuing to make art, she listened to liberal critics and was insulated in this uh, decrepit, disgusting Hollywood and New York art scene uh, group of people. And now she is nowhere. She is, it looks like she's dying. And <laughs> she got her womb ripped out. And. <laughs> She could have avoided all of that by not listening to uh, random liberals on Twitter. <laughs> I, I, I think this is also why, um, just from the artist's perspective, I also really don't like um, artist statements and having to 
I, I just made a submission to this publication or magazine the other day uh, of my images and I just hated so much having to write about them. And, I, and of course I made it as vague as possible um, because I felt like it would just kill all the um, like, do you want me to spell it out for you about what mm. the, what I think the images are about? Like it's pretty straightforward to me and I wouldn't want like, <laughs> just like look at them. It's visual art, you know, like it, the English language isn't sufficient to explain everything. And it's, you know, of course it can be there to like aid your experience and like help people guide and think about what it is, but it shouldn't be there to like, or the critics take shouldn't be there to like give you the answer. There's no answer. It's art. It's raising questions that don't have answers. It's there. But questions uh, leave you open to being seduced by uh, the totally real and not made up uh, undercurrent of uh, Nazi white supremacist terrorists lurking around every <laughs> corner uh, in America. So you have to uh, cut that, nip that in the bud by explaining things beforehand. There's no way to make effective art with trigger warnings and uh, liberal moral explanations. And I, I see people try to do this who are kind of like dipping their toe into being an edgelord and they'll kind of like play the liberal game of putting a trigger warning, uh, putting a kind of moralizing, normalizing explanation at the end of things that they write. Um, and it's, simply doesn't work by putting a trigger warning your that's a that's a like putting a communist flag <laughs> at the top of you you're identifying yourself uh you're putting a giant uh, red flag right at the top of what you're writing so uh you know everyone has to work through the the current draconian censorship any way they can i understand the need to like obscure and make things abstract, but uh, trigger warnings and pronoun stuff are a hard line. That's It's unforgivable. <laughs> well, you're obviously not playing on a level playing field anyway, so I don't know why you would give into that stuff. You just if have you to say it's not real. Having a career in the, yes, in the old which, sense of which, uh, climbing yeah. the left-wing media ladder. <laughs> <laughs> which is delusional, but obviously understandable. Um if because it obvious, you know, people have heroes of all you know different, you know, from all different walks of life or sides of the aisle, so to speak. So, um, but it's not really like that anymore. And uh, a lot of these people um, want you dead. So yeah, they, yeah, they they liberals want you dead, absolutely. And until you realize that, uh, you're not going to get very far. Um, and. <laughs> It seems like the people who had a little taste of a mainstream career or mainstream approval before the, the massive schism of 2015, 2016, those are the ones who have it hardest because they consider themselves to be temporarily embarrassed liberals who can get back in everyone's favor. And no, you once you realize that there's anything wrong with any of what's going on right now, then you're done forever. You're in the alt-right, quote-unquote, holding tank, which is an imaginary construction uh, of the left intended to demonize any criticism of themselves 
as uh, a domestic terrorist threat. So if you are a post-leftist who's dipping your toe into saying the word retard, congratulations, you're all right. Same as the rest, and you're never going to get back in their favor. It's it's uh, There's no way to be forgiven by liberals. It's a religion without uh, forgiveness. No saviors. <laughs> um, I, I want to address... Um, some of the visual problems of current movies. I, I I watched a bit of the new Dune. I don't know if you checked it out. No, um, I haven't yeah. yet. I'll go see it, but I'm really, I haven't been enthused for that. No, I at all. I Jack, I, I haven't even. So I was like switching, <laughs> preparing for this. I'm like, well, you know, Dune is new and people are talking about it. So, you know, and then I'm like, wait, should I watch the old one first or should I watch the new one? And and then I ended up just watching like 10 minutes at a time of like swapping back and forth between each movie. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and um, and look, I and, and the other day also, I just was like, oh, I need to I need to visit some of the 2010s hits that I missed, like Parasite and uh, Get Out, which I had not seen. Um. Which, look, I do not want to also do the reflexive negativity thing, the boomer thing. Like, everything new is bad. Um, Which, you know, everyone has an assessment that, like, most things now are, like, not good, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, um, I will say about newer movies, like, I'm watching The Dune, and I think it's bad. But I also, new movies have this, like, really easy easy watching quality to them. You know, Mm -hmm. like... Um, watching something, I don't know, uh, older, maybe a little more inaccessible and difficult. And I, I'm not always like, wow, this is such like an easy thing to be watching and like just kind of going about, but you kind of have to subject yourself to those works of art. Um, and like you said, just kind of be entranced by them. But like the right. newer and movies, like the, the, all the new Hulu, Netflix, like streaming shows, they're all uh, very effectively designed to be watchable. And yeah, it's like getting des- caught in the scroll so that you can kind of like tune out. And yeah, yeah I mean, I, I don't know if I'm just getting older uh, and I'm just sort of OK with the shitty quality of everything, because I, I feel a general optimism um, and appreciation for crappy hulu content like i recently liked the work the show uh cruel summer i've watched uh the recent american horror story uh for the you know and i avoided that show for like five years um (laughs) after after it really went downhill after the third season um but i'm like enjoying everything now like um i liked malignant and the night house um i do think there's there is some general increase in quality very recently. Uh, White Lotus is another sign of it. Um, There is, there's the absolute dregs of the woke barrel uh, where it's the worst thing that I really just could not handle. I went to the theater theater, uh, just for the hell of it and saw like the most recent purge movie, which is like, uh, like, birth of a nation tier like uh racist propaganda <laughs> against white people um and uh that i could not take but in general um i do think they're finding 
ways to be a little more clever with the rote diversity uh, math equation, like the the black woman cop in Malignant basically plays the like bumbling cop figure that would have been played by like, a fat white man before. Yeah. Like, they're doing a, yeah. a little more clever stuff with it. I don't know. I did not like Malignant at all. Oh, really? <laughs> I loved it. <laughs> <laughs> my, uh, my girlfriend's summary, uh, it's about uh, a tumor with mommy issues. <laughs> I like it because it, um, it had all of these references to like the cool like horror nerd stuff like Possession and like Brian De Palma's sisters and yeah, yeah. Basket Case. But it was resolutely trashy and still had plenty of like rubbery cgi but i'm uh uh what's that director's name i'm a huge fan of the saw movies um uh, james wan or yeah <laughs> so I, I yeah i recently after avoiding them for 20 years watched all the saw movies and realized that they're great and it's basically just <laughs> days of our lives with uh, torture scenes <laughs> <laughs> well i hate but i hated in malignant like this really weird cgi like fight scene at the end (laughs) and and look they're just cgi just does not need to exist like Mm. there's just this really weird obsession about like we're gonna 3d model and like 3d modeling is gonna take over photography and video like you're not even gonna need to actually shoot things anymore um and it just really bothers me too because it's so noticeably fake even when the technology is better like watching like the titanic CGI is like the only like thing you're gonna need CGI wise, or like maybe some of the Matrix stuff. Or like I just I even the like early two thousands like CGI where it has it has more texture. It's like supplemented with those like weird creatures and like gross VFX. That's like actually more cutting to me and kind of like off putting than when I know it's like completely simulated in a computer, I just, I get no feeling from it at all. I'm not like, wow, that's scary. And that's why like older move, like an image that always sticks in my mind, watching younger was space balls, mm-hmm. like the, uh, you know, the Rick Moranis, right. Yeah. Uh, uh, Star Wars, uh, parody. And they have, um, pizza, the hut instead of job of the hut. And he has this gross, super gross VFX. I mean, uh, makeup art, you know. Yeah, um, I was obsessed with that as a kid. The, yeah, the like that is part. that is such a more poignant image to me than like anything made up CGI wise. Yeah, I mean, I CGI is just here to stay. I don't really feel like emotional or like one way or the other like, yeah. about it anymore. And also seeing when it's used well like the uh like the 2000s like lord of the rings era cgi where there was a noticeable and like quote unquote improvement in the quality it became a lot more complex that currently looks very dated to me but the 90s era cgi uh that used to be disparaged as being really uh distracting and bad like what's in like hellraiser 3 uh, for instance, uh, that all looks great. And David David Lynch uh, in Twin Peaks: The Return found a way to use CGI really well with this like flat, deliberately artificial kind of uh, artistic way of doing it. I don't know. I'm not. 
Yeah. I'm not, yeah. I'm not bothered by it anymore. It's just here to stay and it is what it is. Um, but the, um, the A24 kind of like nostalgia thing of like, we're going to make a movie using just real models. Like obviously usually a lot of that stuff looks really good, but there is a kind of like, affectedness like you just can't go back you can't go backwards in time like just as with like politics like imagining that you can go back to the 50s before second wave (laughs) feminism like isn't going to get you anywhere it's just here um (laughs) yeah a a lot of these like yours yeah no you're totally right it's gonna have to be uh just accepted and kind of move artists are going to have to move forward and and figure out getting through this opposed to the like, I'm not going to touch that um, because I want to return sort of thing. But Mm. the other thing that really bothers me is uh, the like anamorphic lenses with the um, like everything is blurry background now. Like Mm. nothing is sharp. Like any cinema I watch is no. And maybe film had that quality more like the frames um, like there was just more interaction between like, or, or there was more thoughtfulness in like making a good frame, um, and, and something, but yeah, the, the shallow depth of field thing just really bothers me. It's like, I don't know. I, I don't know if you know what I'm talking about. Uh, I, I'm really bothered by the sound of Netflix, Hulu, 2010s. Content, the drone where it's the uh, drone, the Trent Reznor, Atticus Ross at the tenth remove, ominous, uh, vaguely eighties inspired synth drone. I never want to hear anything like that <laughs> ever again. Like it's so. Um, uh, my and, boyfriend and I have been watching the uh, new Chucky series. Uh, that's like Degrassi plus like Inland Empire plus Chucky, <laughs> and all of the music on it is this very generic uh like fun 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 in the sun 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 type (laughs) like fake sounding like library music and i find it so refreshing after so much like ominous 80s throwback synth stuff i i also hate the um like the fake orchestra horn section (laughs) sort of sound (laughs) also bothers me everything sounds uh, really bad right now and also another um huge pet peeve uh and an unavoidable trope with uh, current movies and tv shows is adding cool old songs to give it gravity uh so rather than featuring like contemporary music which could be embarrassing they'll put like cool 60s like Martin Scorsese, like Goodfellas type yeah, songs yeah. over everything to make it seem like legit and it's such an unbearable tendency. <laughs> like, it's it's really corny. Like Cruella, Cruella is an interesting thing to me because it is this like perfected, streamlined Disney Chinese assembly line product uh, where all of it is v- very effective. <laughs> like the, it's like, it has like an AI designed like Martin Scorsese, like cool old soundtrack to make every moment of it <laughs> seem like legit. And to normal people, it works. They're like, wow, the songs were really cool. Um, and, you know, the diversity stuff is like perfectly 
plotted out where every single shot of the movie has four races of people in the frame. Uh, and <laughs> so it can't be scorned for having yeah. white people in it. Yeah. And also the having to sell it in China thing of like uh, Disney content right now prevents them from plumbing the depths of like uh, transgender or gay acceptance. So there is like a sort of ambiguously like queer kind of like David Bowie looking character, but they don't talk <laughs> about him much or what he is because they have to sell it in China where it's like illegal to be gay. So it's there. Some, and also they uh, conspicuously don't feature any cigarettes, which as I said, uh, so uh, that was good. So yeah, they did it's good. good because <laughs> I'm so sick of the mad men fake smoking that they do where people are like as a treat, uh, given a little glimpse of a freer time where you could smoke inside. It's just depressing. <laughs> um, I forgot what I was going to say. Um, hold on. I'm going to have to cut this out. I'm eating a muffin now. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we have to accept the new... Um, <laughs> uh, People's Republic of the United States as a part of the Chinese Empire. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's inevitable. Yeah, it's uh, it's real depressing because all the all the gender war and all the like TikTok that was deployed uh, definitely worked. And <laughs> and you're a, are you a TikTok? You're a TikTok hater. Is that correct? Uh, I. I mean, I, I just see glim- I've never been on the app. I just see like glimpses of what people repost. I yeah, think yeah. it's cute when it's like, uh, like young guys just doing something like gross for the sake of it, like uh, you know, eating a bunch of what you know, the mukbang type feeling, <laughs> like or some kind of like jackass type stunt. Like that can be cute, but the. Um, hypnotic brainwashing uh, that has resulted in the worst image I've ever seen in my entire life, which is the little TikTok dance of the gender goblin or female (laughs) pointing at text boxes of like critical race (laughs) theory or gender. So that's literally the word like you can never, you can't go down any further after after that, that's the worst image of modern times. That that little like shoulder shake that they do as they're pointing to like they them he her you know like <laughs> horrid horrid. So and it obviously was just Chinese propaganda deployed to uh, finish off the West for good. So yeah, it's <laughs> it totally. <worked>. It's like <laughs> it worked. It's like the siren. You know the siren. It's a totally demonic app. It's like the sirens. Like you get caught. I get caught doom scrolling that app for like two hours. You know, it just and it just. I mean, sometimes there's some good stuff for me, helpful things. You either have to be helpful or funny, basically. Um, but no, I, yeah, it's totally. And I, I actually awful. am impressed by the technical efficiency of the people who are good at it in terms of like framing themselves and speaking uh, in a certain manner. Like there is obviously a bit of an art to it that like uh, so, you know someone like me can't capture just by taking a selfie but they'll do these you know <laughs> hopping on a counter and they're just perfectly in frames you know and it it takes a real like addiction to it to develop those skills i guess so what you need to do is start doing video podcasts 
because I oh. know you love those. Oh yeah, and then I just love video post, you're gonna post so clips. Much. You're gonna post clips on TikTok of. <laughs> oh my god, with the contrapoints, uh, fast Chapo Trap House style editing, where it's yeah, cut, jump cut. The jump cut Chapo editing. Oh, <laughs> I don't. I don't even. I've never listened to Chapo. Um, I don't I even. I don't even really know what that ever, is. But it sounds like that where um where uh, all of the silences are cut out. So yeah. it's, uh, did you like, know that white people are bad? <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's it has this really corny, like fast talking, like Aaron Sorkin <laughs> type yeah, but Gil- so- <laughs> Gilmore Girls type editing. That stuff is like weirdly seductive, though. Like, and you know the like TikTok um, AI voice that mm-hmm. um, I think Zach like tweeted about <laughs> a little bit. Because it's so dumb. I don't know if you've seen it. And it's like this weird woman AI robot. And, and at first I'm like, this is so this is so weird. And then you just get desensitized and entranced in this like you get to, you just have to submit basically. Mm-hmm. To, and, but I like what you said before, um, because I try, you know, I didn't want this to kind of turn into like return to return to good movies, you know, blah, blah, blah. Oh yeah. yeah. I'm so, I'm so far past that. I mean, the first notable like generation of that, uh, being like a cinephile in like the early two thousands when they started doing, uh, remakes of every single horror movie. And at the time it was like, this is appalling. I can't believe they're remaking Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And now we've been so many like generations and like reboots and, whatever oh, God, away yeah. from that, that uh, like I've been watching the 2000s uh, Texas Chainsaw yeah. Massacre movies and like the last house on the left remake. And I like all of them. Like they seem they're quite stylish. And also uh, with distance, I really appreciate uh, watching conventionally hot girls run around in extreme low rise jeans, uh, which you never get to see anymore. Yeah, yeah I, I, I was really uh, transfixed by the Last House on the Left remake. <laughs> I was like, I couldn't believe that this was this uh, this horrible like it feels like Disney-fied melancholy Durangle uh, was just like <laughs> d- dumped into theaters in two thousand nine and like you know made enough money. Same year, right? What were they made the same year? Uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre was two thousand three and oh, okay. last house on the left was 2009 but yeah the no the same year as a uh, melancholy durangle oh melancholy durangle was like i think it was finally yeah, it was released into festivals in 2009 but, but it, started it was all filmed working. like eight years before that oh okay yeah. yeah and you can kind of tell it looks um it looks way more like early 2000s than late 2000s but yeah it's I think like he, it's he digital cobb- right yeah, it's digital. It's very early digital, but he finally like cobbled it all together by like 2009. What did you yeah. think of Melancholy Durangle? I really I really liked it. Um I and it was interesting because it kept getting progressively like to- topping itself. It oh. was slow. It was slow in the beginning though. It was like a solid like 45 minutes that just kind of was not nothing really happening, you know. Um, yeah. Where your and, descent into hell is <laughs> happening very slowly. Oh yeah, and I love afterward looking up the actor of um, I think Browth was his name. The uh, yeah, the, the porn like, star. 
Yeah, he said porn. Yeah. <laughs> so, I was going to post a screenshot because I like there his like X videos page popped up. And I was like, hmm, checking out his discography right now. This guy is good actor. Uh, <laughs> no, yeah, but he's great. They, yeah, I mean, I loved the pig uh, slaughtering uh, guts spilling uh, um, and <laughs> the horrible violent raping. Um it's uh, that that moment where um, it's probably like an hour and a half or two hours into it where they go off into the woods and it becomes really like Ken Russell surreal where he's following the nun around and yeah, then the pig yeah. slaughtering happened and that like uh, it's all cross cut with that uh, like bells chiming like church sounding music that's yeah, just yeah. transcendent. <laughs> so, oh, it was great and and I think it. Um, was very cutting and and then everything started to make sense about the movie and the the pleasure and the pain and the and the worms and the dead animals and the everything you know no um, one has ever gone that far and no one ever will go that far again it's, again yeah uh god bless those actors though holy oh, shit oh god bless i mean oh even watching the movie feels like casting a dark spell on yourself uh much less acting in it and i don't know if you watched the revisiting melancholy durangle no i need uh, to watch the documentary. documentary but it uh like demystifies it a little uh, when they go around to the locations um oh, okay and and like uh just show where they did things because the the first two times i saw that it just existed in this absolute like uh yeah, hellscape. Hellraiser kind of like lament configuration dimension where I couldn't imagine anyone ever doing these things. And, and, um, <laughs> the, yeah, the it, only it, thing it, it didn't touch on was, uh, pedophilia and, uh, um, it, it didn't. Besides, uh, yeah, Nymphomaniac goes there more, but, uh, all, <laughs> yeah. the, all the normies have stopped watching, uh, Nymphomaniac by the time it gets to that point <laughs> yeah. where, where she goes beyond the law. They've wa- they walked uh, out of the theater. You know, three, uh, yeah. Three, four they hours they ago. just thought it was boring. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it doesn't touch on that. Um, besides that they're like abducting teenage girls from a carnival. Um, yeah, and they're totally into it too. They're and I also like how they're untouched um for like the first quarter to half of the movie. Like the two girls like nothing happens to them really. But and the, and they're also like totally arrested in the way they have no like oh I need to run away or get help. It's like Yeah, they're, they're like the, they're like the victims in uh Salo. Uh have you seen Salo? No, that's on my list. Though that 120 days. Yeah, the, yeah, the yeah. victims in Salo is they're being like uh tortured and made to eat shit and everything. They're all just like kind of like uh weirdly compliant and like dead-eyed and yeah. They're not particularly traumatized. There's just that kind of like sniffling, <laughs> petulant <laughs> sniffling that you get in melancholy to angle, but it's not like anyone's ever like trying to escape, which adds to the like uh, strange aestheticized sadism of all of it. Uh, yeah. Even more. Well, it's definitely, um, you know, because Nymphomaniac touches on the sort of amoralism, but I think uh, I've, melancholy to angle makes it way more apparent because it's like the uh one of the a, a little older lady like she gets violently raped and then is not like there's no um consequence it wasn't a bad or a good thing it just happened 
it just happened, you know? Um, but I think that's sort of the point they're making with some of the movie. Like at the end when the guy dies, it's like, uh, this doesn't, it's like so nihilistic. It's like, this does not affect the world. Like all those dead animals, it doesn't, just doesn't matter. doesn't have any effect on anything, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, it just, it feels like when you watch that, that, um, extremely uncomfortable, extremely dark, disturbing truths about human existence are being revealed to you in a way that they never or rarely are. Um, and the fact that people get so hung up and irrational about the animal killings in it, yet every day all around you, they're like legless genetically modified chickens <laughs> being slaughtered and cows. <laughs> yeah. It's like, you know, really that's something that's a, a panic that I've never, that I've always been kind of annoyed by where people single out violence towards animals on movies is like the ultimate evil. And obviously I would never do it myself, but yeah, you have to admit that is a large part of the impact of melancholy or Ingle is that it's real and it wouldn't be the same thing if it were just this kind of performance of actors who were totally oh safe. God. Like, no, yeah, it wouldn't, you yeah. know, those girls were drugged up and it was a kind of like sixties psychedelic was, cult happening. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like you're watching it. They're like, <laughs> shoving a knife in her vagina or mm -hmm. whatever like is it i i real or not or whatever to, i amazing or I, I also love that visual one the one girl is like being eaten out or whatever and it's like they're really close up the, the vagina the oh twin. yeah where it's just yeah. a, it's a horrible like glistening oyster thing <laughs> yeah it's a Really, uh, all of the close-ups. Oh God, those. Uh, but the guy just is seared like, on your brain. That it's the worst yeah. animal image uh, to me is stepping on the lizard. Is worse than the cat. Like the cat gets the big. Uh, the cat's is sad, you know. The, like, the oh, cat's really sad. sad, but also you know what's happening at your exploding. local kill shelter every day. Yeah, <laughs> they're, they're yeah. euthanizing cats. Um, but the the lizard where it shows that close-up of it, like. <laughs> Yeah, exploding, uh, bubbling up, and then exploding. Yeah. That 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 part I dread so much, and I dread the um, uh, when they finally show the the pregnant woman being tortured and them killing the baby. Oh yeah, uh, oh god, that, yeah. Oh god, <laughs> just rubbing the videotape all over herself. Um, yeah, that was like um, I don't know. That scene felt very like crash to me for some reason. Oh, it's very uh, crash. Yeah. And by the time you get to Auschwitz, you're so desensitized. I remember the first time I watched it and, you know, like, I don't know, two hours and 15 minutes in or something, they suddenly have that flashback where they're at Auschwitz <laughs> and like going <laughs> to Fassbinder's grave. Uh, I was like, oh, yeah, of course. They're just at Auschwitz now. This is, yeah. um, the, other, the other thing about the movie was that was interesting is the main guy, Browth or whatever, he has this very kind of, um, I, I don't know if Sephardic is the right word, or Middle Eastern sort of look to him. Like he kind of almost looks like Jesus or something. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but he's like, he's like embodied of Satan or whatever. Yeah, isn't is he Israeli? He's. I don't know. I yeah. mean, I'll have to look. And the guy, the bald guy, who is like totally. Have you ever seen Run Lola Run? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, he was like totally two thousands like German techno looking to me. Oh yeah, those two thousands German <laughs> fetish techno people are so creepy. The girl, um, <laughs> the the S and M girl is like that too. Yeah, um, but he died like a year after the movie was released or whatever. Wait, Karsten Frank. Let me look it up. No, because I somebody recently said that they they no uh, like no not chatted with him online. Um, oh, the guys, wait, is this the right guy? Oh, uh, Uli Lamel? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. From the Fassbender movies. Um, yeah, he, let's see, he died in 2017. Are you talking about the old guy? The bald guy. Or the bald no, guy maybe is it, not dead. Oh, he's not dead. Okay. Oh, it's no, the old still, guy. All right. He's sorry. still around, but, um, okay. don't they, they use a fake name for that movie? Cause they fell out over the uh, the necrophilia. Oh god! That was the big. That's the big scene that's missing. Um, is that from he where? like uh, from Melancholy to Engel? Oh really? Is that they um, bribed uh, some Undertaker guy, and there's like a necrophilia scene of him like fucking rotting corpse. Oh no! I and did. They, yeah. That- yeah. That was like, oh yeah, this movie's only missing uh, necrophilia and, and pedophilia, and-, and you can kind of like see sort of where it is, um, you know, uh, in those hallucinatory sequences in the middle. Um, it feels like there's something missing, but yeah, the the legal troubles of that <laughs> caused them to Holy cut it out. Shit, yeah, I know. Well, I did like the like casket uh, decaying skull touching Ugh, scene as well. So scary. That church. That was that like, wow, I'm really. A, mm. Oh, fucking nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> but they're really like touching on all of the. Um, I was like, wow, this movie just like keeps going there and it's like brilliant, you know? Uh, yeah. It goes there further than any movie has ever or ever will go there. Yeah. Well, and the other, um, you know, there's one movie that uh, that I haven't watched that I know you. It's interesting because you know, following your Twitter, and then oh, there's so many hours of the podcast, and then it's also not just what you guys are talking about that episode, but like what gets mentioned like off the cuff that mm. like will stick in my mind. Like I forgot what episode you guys mentioned like Lost in America with Albert Brooks. And, oh, um, I love Lost in America. I, I love that movie so much. It's like so watch that over and over again. It's like 82 yeah. minutes long and just in an endless loop. Yeah, I just love the end where he's like, oh, you know, I, are you thinking the same thing I'm thinking? Yeah, we should eat shit and ask for our jobs back. <laughs> like, oh, um, but, great movie. Um, I think you might have mentioned the movie The Women from 1939 is that correct yeah we did uh the episode with uh, eugene kotlerenko uh we talked about the women and marasad okay so i'm gonna have to watch that as well but you know uh you know <laughs> quoting jack but you know th- 1939 was sort of the apex of movies and then it's been all uh downhill from there yeah, movie uh, was perfected as an art form, and by 1939, uh, with Gone with the Wind and the Women, and 
Snow White two years before that and Wizard, Wizard of Oz. Of Oz. Um, and there have been plenty of notable and interesting experiments, but it's never been as good as Gone with the Wind. As soon as people were like the the Hollywood system was kind of dismantled and stars were given more freedom and uh, it, it stopped operating as a well-oiled machine in the way that yeah. it did in the golden age. But what I wanted to ask from that is because like, do you think that mediums have a like a finite lifespan? Um, it seems most of them do. It seems that novels are largely a thing of the past. Yeah. It seems that cinema on the scale we once knew it uh, valued as an art form or as an auteur statement um, is done. Uh, like we're never going to have another Titanic or Gone with the Wind or something on that scale uh, because they they just have a very specific and very profitable formula and then they don't take any risks anymore. Um, dude. Yeah. Art forms seem to have, uh, seem to have an expiration date for sure. Yeah. Like cinema I, as like the ultimate, like Gesamtkunstwerk, uh, like incorporating right <laughs> everything, you know, uh, music, opera, theater, uh, photography, uh, that yes. kind of thing just requires so much money and so many people that yeah. it's extremely difficult to pull off. Yeah, uh, I've always thought about that because photography has such like an immediacy to it. Uh, and you don't really need a lot of permission and you could just snap a photo and like that's that. Uh, but, you know, cinema is way more kind of... Uh, premeditated and predetermined. Um, but you know, everything now, it, obviously there's the, the PC problem of, of, uh, what is, you know, quote unquote, un uh, acceptable to be saying or making, uh, then there's the sort of market problem also that, um, of what's profitable, you know? Um, mm -hmm. but I think that is, it's not just a, it's a cultural thing, you know, like of what, what they're projecting people might enjoy or might not. And there is, I guess you're at liberty to make something without permission, but um, I guess that presents other problems of acceptance and whatever. People just have to have so much pre-existing wealth and clout in order to get away with saying the most basic common sense conservative thing in response to the liberal menace right now that it's oh i mean everybody just has to tell the truth publicly and no one no one wants to hear it like the point that um that people hate me talking about the most is anonymity which i obviously yeah. understand the need to put layers of protection between yourself and the fascist menace facing us, which seeks to deplatform and cancel your bank accounts and all of this. But we're objectively seeing so much more success culturally with people who simply 
casually say the truth without this anonymous persona performance, uh, like you have something to be ashamed of, like Red Scare and Nicki Minaj and people like that simply casually integrating what they think into their product is so much more effective than making it this little like fucking 2016 alt-right game of like, I have a persona online and everyone, it's a secret super soldier for it's, it's so dumb. And that really feeds into, feeds into everyone feeling isolated um, and alienated and afraid to speak out. Yeah, and then then when they are speaking, they like know that <laughs> this is something I shouldn't be saying. Yeah, and it, it it already frames you as bad preemptively, and yeah, I get it. I understand people needing to protect their families and uh, not wanting to make their social media interactions into some like big horrible life life ruining docs thing but somebody has to say it like somebody has to do it <laughs> like somebody has to have the balls to uh own up to what they think publicly and i just believe that especially as a man you should just own up to what you think publicly and not have not be split into multiple personalities online really if you are that ashamed of what you think you've probably gone too far <laughs> if you think that you have to have a separate uh yeah. you know totally uncensored persona where your id dumps all of its darkest worst thoughts then you've probably gone too far hundred percent. Um, I think we are, <laughs> I think we definitely have covered a lot of ground. Yeah. Um, and I think this was very, uh, clarifying for me as a conversation of, of, I was just, um, try. Yeah. I was just trying to avoid that thing of being like, Oh, everything sucks. And what, a, I don't know what a horrible way to live. I, I, enjoy um the I, I what i really like about uh your guys show is like you're able to i mean obviously we, we understand that there are problems but then you supplement it with things that are good you know mm-hmm. um and things that you should or to think about and care about and be interested in and uh because there's nothing worse than um having the you know, uh, uh, when you get into this sort of space uh, on the internet, like being negative can attract sorts of really, really gremlin like people because even though you have the same enemy does not mean yeah. <laughs> you're going to be like uh, a good or this good person or whatever, you know, have something good going on. Yeah, um, and my problem has always been that I like everything. My tastes are so broad. It's like I like such a wide variety of stuff that people tend not to even be able to grasp it. And then they think that I'm a negative critical person, which is just like insane to me because every person around me is more reflexively negative and critical than me. Like I like 
everything, every genre, yeah. <laughs> every genre of music. It's just wide open. Um, music, movies, perfume. Yeah, it's there's it's all interesting to me. So, but I do yeah. have one question because I, you know, mm-hmm. there's only so much time in the day. There's you should, uh, I guess, be <laughs> thinking about um, what you want to put good things to put in your mind and um, what to be consuming. Uh, I'm, I try not to be quick to like write off something uh, just because I haven't, and especially if I haven't seen it yet, if you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. so um, are there things that you think are just not worth look like actually like, I'm not going to watch all the Marvel movies, you know what I mean? Yeah. But, I could imagine <laughs> what they're going to be like. Um, um, and I, I'm also trying not to be the reflexively negative thing, um, but just about it to be like, I, I already know what they're about before I've even seen them. Is it and better what, to not have an opinion or be, cause I don't want to be a fence sitter either. There, no, there, there's only so much time in the day. You, <laughs> you obviously have to make choices about the media that you consume. And like, I've seen a few of the Marvel things and I know what they are. I, I have because of my uh, interest in maximalist media and soap opera and uh, plot soap opera plot lines that go on for like 50 years and stuff. uh, I have had people telling me, yeah, the Marvel universe is like that. And it is in a way, I mean, it's, it's formulaic, and it's mapped out in this like vast interconnected endless like universe. Um, and that aspect of it, how they like plan out the phases of it is a little interesting to me. Like that's the most interesting part of it is that all of this garbage is interconnected. But the fact is, <laughs> is it, that it's just not good. Like it, it's, I, I have no doubt that someone will, come along as like I have with daytime soaps and that's their passion project is talking about the Marvel movies with like a new critical appreciation of them. But I, I just find them exhausting and really bad. And the, uh, the constant events, the constant plot, um, the rubbery video game CGI, how nothing organic can ever occur in any of them. There's no organic weirdness. Uh, They just keep progressively getting more and more uh, utopian and libtarded. Yeah. It's, I I (laughs) do not have time to explore Marvel movies, but who knows, maybe in 20 years it will be like, uh, like I am now with the 2000s horror remakes. You always run yeah. out of stuff to watch and it's good to uh, revisit things that you have a previously held negative opinion of and see if you were still correct. Yes, 100%. So go watch the uh, Mayor Pete documentary and also go watch the Fauci <laughs> documentary. <laughs> oh, and, never enough documentaries. Uh, yeah. Watch the... Uh, Dave Chappelle special, the totally not yeah, the fake astroturf <laughs> uh, controversy. Yeah. Oh, the uh, astroturf great work! Like it in a fake stadium game 
uh, supposed uh, what's the word in like boxing? Like it's a like a staged match sort of thing, you know? Oh uh, yeah, uh, I don't I don't know, but yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yes. Uh, so please go watch those. Appreciate real culture and art. But via <laughs> via Amazon, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's and, it's taken three Netflix specials for His Royal <laughs> Majesty Dave Chappelle to offer the mildest libtarded, uh, safe criticism of uh, the transgender problem. But oh yeah, this is totally God, cutting cons- edge. Conserv- <laughs> I watched the previous two, and they, they, it was the same thing. It was uh, conservatives just fall for this stuff because they're. Conservatives need to be liked, and they're more like affirmative action-minded than even liberals. It's <laughs> so yeah. just like, oh, Dave Chappelle, who uh, you know will follow up his five-minute uh, spicy little criticism, uh, vague criticism of transgendered people, uh, with a forty-five-minute George Floyd lecture to a socially distanced <laughs> audience. Oh, he's our hero. No, he hates you. <laughs> Oh my god! I love in the I love in the Twitter like sphere. They're just so defending him over everything. They're oh. like PC culture. You know we have to stand up for Dave. Like Dave Chappelle does not like you and would not want to associate no, with you, especially he, as a conservative. He's also not funny. But you know that's for I, another yeah, day. I don't know. I hate comedy. My <laughs> favorite. Uh, I haven't really watched any Chappelle, but I love the. When he talked about when he was at the Laugh Factory, and he was talking about Michael Richards, who had a famous incident um, with the uh, with the no no word, mm-hmm. <laughs> and he's like, every time I look at uh, the <laughs> the logo, I just keep thinking of Kramer. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> he's like, yeah. uh, shouldn't have, shouldn't have done that. That is that's funny to me. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I haven't really watched. Like, yeah, it's not my. It's too late for me. I don't want to hear anything from stand-up comedians anymore, especially since it's used now as this uh, uh, mask to defensive to protect yourself from saying anything is true. So you can just be like, "I'm just a comedian." Yeah, Um, and I and I love that too because, like you said, like some comedians are like some of the worst people, and they have to like mask it with this like abstract title of the Golden Day. Like you're not, you know, you're not Don Rickles, man. You are (laughs) like you sit and eat Uber Eats and talk shit at a nightclub in the Lower East Side at like three in the morning every night. The comedian fantasy of being a tortured artist is like more embarrassing than all other forms of being a tortured artist. I'm like yeah, yeah. the, com- the comedy one where everybody thinks they're Lenny Bruce. And it's just like, he's so brilliant when he goes on stage, but he's such a dark, complicated mess. And when, he, yeah. you know, in his personal life and we could lose him at any time to alcoholism because he has substance abuse brought like this whole fantasy of the com- comedian <laughs> is really cringe. It's the, it's the uh, BPD art ho girl interrupted suicide fantasy for boys. Holy shit, yeah. <laughs> much easier to be a shit poster, much braver too. <laughs> yeah. Or just say what you actually think and uh yeah not yeah. run for the hills and go, I'm a comedian, I'm a comedian. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> yep, so uh Dave Chappelle, Mayor Pete, uh Dr. Fauci, and uh Hannah Gadsby too. Gotta watch that. Good I stuff. liked her more than I liked Chappelle. I watched I didn't, Nanette. you know, I didn't watch it. Uh, I mean, it's awful, but uh, I could 
at least it was honest about its intentions. Uh, <laughs> oh, she's Australian. Uh, yeah, and uh, I kind of like the idea of uh, a comedy session. A comedy special switching tones halfway through and becoming like a very self-serious narration of a gang rape. So, <laughs> <laughs> look, I, I'm reading the uh, the bio- biography. Her subjects include art history, dysfunctional family, homosexuality, <laughs> and mental illness, trauma, autism. Oh <laughs> Sounds man! Sounds great. She uh, she stayed at the hotel I used to work at one time, and I was like, really? this was like during peak Nanette, and. Uh, I was just standing there like Norman Bates, like staring at her, like paddling, <laughs> paddling around the pool like a whale. Yeah. And I was like, I could end it all right now. Oh, shit. Um, and, but I didn't. In, my, in Minecraft. Right? <laughs> in Minecraft. <laughs> I, I mean, this is like four TNT. years ago. I, did, it's, it's I don't even know I who do. she was till yeah. five minutes ago, honestly. So yeah. not right. And it, the great irony is that the, uh, the Netflix logo, it's a great logo. N. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, how do they get away with that? I, I laugh at it every time, where it's just a giant N. Yeah, it's like a nymphomaniac. Um, uh, <laughs> N. N. Uh, amazing stuff. Uh, but Jack, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks um, for having me. That was a delightful yeah, was conversation. Great. It was great to um, finally talk because and we had been. I'm very honored to be uh, followed by you, fellow mutual. Oh, thank um, you. Yeah. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah.